let's, let's meet each other in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. This is the second week of a collection of talks that uh, we're going to title the DNA series. And what we've been doing in this series <coughs> is we've been looking at uh, vision and values that we hold together as a church. And specifically for this round, we'll do this uh, every spring and every fall. And specifically for this round, we're looking at this phrase, family on mission, family on mission. So last week was the first part of that. Uh, the first part of that phrase, we looked at family. And this week, I want to look at the on mission half. So Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse seven. Um, once you're there, let's stand together to read God's word. This is Paul writing. He says, but grace was given to each one of us. Uh, He's talking to you Christians. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, uh, this is quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one that who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Take a breath, Paul. (laughs) Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you've made us a part of your body and your people. Yes. Thank you that you've gifted us. Thank you. Thank you. Help us to look like what you've spoken about us. Yeah. We want to be all that you've said we are yes. and will be. Yes, so form us today. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, also, welcome to everyone joining us online. Um, So the the portion of this epistle that this specific passage falls in, Paul's goal in that whole portion of this epistle, Ephesians four chapter one down to uh, Ephesians chapter four verse one down to verse sixteen, Paul's goal is to push the Ephesians into unity. Uh, Q Q Al Green, let's let's stay together. This, this is Paul's goal. Paul's goal is for the Ephesians to, to experience increasing togetherness. That's his goal in this whole portion of the epistle. And what we see in this passage is Paul presenting God's plan for us to experience this togetherness. Uh, so I had the same basketball coach from 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th grade. Same guy moved up with us in school. And... In all four of those seasons, before every game, the routine was the same. 
He'd say, at halftime of the girls' game, I want you to walk into the locker room. We'd walk into the locker room, and he's got Tupac turned on on level 50. So we walk in, and we listen to Tupac for 30 minutes and get dressed. He turns Tupac off. He circles us up and has us uh, recite the Lord's Prayer because everyone knows when athletes say the Lord's Prayer before games, they win more games. So he turned Tupac off, and he had us do the Lord's Prayer. Then after, he'd say, here's the goal I've set for you. I, I want you to score 80. Or, or I want you to hold them to 35 points. And he'd say, now here's the game plan for us to achieve this goal. And he'd write in big old letters, every game, four seasons. This is 120 games. D-R-P. Defense, rebound, push it. Play good defense. Rebound when they miss it. Push the ball up the court and you'll reach the goal. Every game, every season, he gave us his goal and his game plan to achieve that goal. As we approach this text, what God's doing is he's saying, come here. Here's the goal. The goal I've set for you, my capital C church of all time, the church, the goal I've set for you, this lowercase c church, Christ Church in Joplin, is increasing unity and togetherness. And what we're about to walk through is his game plan. We're, we're about to look at God's game plan for going forward together in every season, not just this season, but in the next season. Not just in the good seasons, but in the bad seasons. Not just in the bad seasons, but in the good seasons. This passage that we're about to look at is one of the foundational texts for the blueprint of the church and how we are supposed to always operate. So we will always come back to this text. Uh, This game plan, I, I counted five steps this week. Five steps in this game plan. So I want to walk through each of these steps. Write this one down. Step one, Christ conquered. Step one is that Christ conquered. I'm going to skip over verse seven and come back to it later and jump into verse eight. What Paul's doing in verses eight and nine is he's showing us how Christ laid the groundwork for the other four steps of this game plan. And in Ephesians chapter four, verse eight, Paul is reaching back to Psalm 68, verse 18. And what's happening in Psalm 68, verse 18, is David, he's narrating the people of Israel's uh, journey from Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 all the way to Mount Zion or Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And so what we see on the surface level when we read these this 430 years worth of history is that in Exodus 19, Moses comes down from the mountain with the law. A little bit later, Moses leads the people through the wilderness. Moses dies, Joshua picks up the mantle, leads the people into Canaan, and they start to conquer the Canaanites. Joshua dies, we go through the judges, the judges period is over, Samuel anoints Saul as king, Saul sees military success in Canaan, and a nation starts to form, Saul gets cast out, David comes, he unites the kingdom, and then they make the journey up Mount Zion, settle in Jerusalem, which would be the capital city. That's what happens on the surface level. David... And Psalm 68, 18 narrates it through a spiritual lens. And he says what really happened was Yahweh, God, walked down Mount Sinai, walked through Canaan, conquered his enemies and made the ascent up to the top of Mount Zion, which is his home. So David's saying, I know y'all might have seen the people of Israel conquer and move through Canaan. I know y'all might have seen a man come down Sinai and humans conquer through Canaan and humans go up Zion. But that was really God who descended from Sinai, conquered through Canaan and climbed up Zion. And so David takes that 
Paul reaches way back to that. And in our passage, he says, that's fulfilled in Christ. I know God conquered back then, but God's greatest conquest was in Christ. He says it, it took 430 years for God to make, for God to get to where he was going in that first conquest, but it only took about 30 in this greatest conquest. He said the same way that Yahweh went, he descended and then ascended up to Zion. That's what he's talking about. Christ's descent and ascent. He's saying Christ descended from glory down into the grave and ascended back up to life and onto the throne in heaven in the spiritual Zion. Yeah. He's saying, this is Christ. And then in Psalm 68, 18, David says, as Yahweh made his way up Mount Zion, he received gifts from all of his people, even the rebels. And Paul says in this great conquest in Christ, God didn't just receive gifts as he made his way up, but he gave gifts. And he took captives and he led a host of captives. Who, who are these captives? Who are these captives? I didn't know the answer. So, so I asked John Chrysostom. Through 1600 years of history, John Chrysostom yelled out, the, the captives that Christ led were, was death. And it was the devil. And it was sin. And it was the, the curse of sin. On Wednesday, I sat down and said, John, I gotta shout over that. Where Jesus, when he went down and came back up, he defeated Satan. When he, when he went down and came back up, he defeated the grave. When he went down and came back up, he defeated the curse of sin. When he went down and came back up, he defeated your sin. Christ won the victory when he went down and came back up. So I know we look in the world and we see evil, but this evil that we see is, is conquered and it's coming to an end when he comes back. I look at myself and I see sin, but I know that this sin is conquered and it's coming to an end when he comes back. So, so I know we look in the world and see brokenness, but, but when we see this brokenness, it's conquered and it's coming to an end. I think I preached this maybe about four years ago. I said it has a limited shelf life. It has an expiration date. Your, your, your sin has an expiration date. Evil has an expiration date. It's expiring. So, so Chrysostom says it, it's sin, death, the devil, and Satan. But, but he's not the only one in this conversation. Because 1900 years ago, Justin Martyr started shouting. And he said, the captives aren't just those who were defeated, but it was those who used to be held captive by those who were defeated. He says the captives that Christ is leading are us Christians, those of us who were formerly captives and have been set free. I know you might feel like you're a captive. I know you might feel like you're stuck, but Christ sets you free. Are you captive? Are you stuck? Are you in bondage? Do you want freedom? Pledge your allegiance to Christ. Believe in who he is. And he says you can have a life of freedom with me forever. Christ conquered. Step one. Step two, write this one down. Christ gave. Christ gave. So I already mentioned that, Paul. He pushes forward David's picture. And when David says Yahweh ascended up Zion, he, he received gifts. Paul says he, he didn't just receive gifts when he ascended up Zion, but he, he gave gifts when he went up to Zion. Well, what are these gifts that he gave? I, I saw two this week. Uh, the first one is, this is in verse 7, he gave us something. He gave us something. Verse 7, Paul says, but to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ. 
Don't skip over how selective Paul was with his words in verse 7. He says, to each of us. He reinforces that by if you read verses 5 and 6, Paul starts saying, we all have one Lord. We all have one spirit. We all have one baptism as if to make us all one. And then on purpose in verse 7, he says, but to each of us individually, he gave grace. That's the Greek word charis. It's probably the the same charis that he uses when he talks about the charismata in, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. These are the spiritual gifts. To each of us, Christian, he gave a spiritual gift. I'm not talking about some BuzzFeed Facebook uh, survey spiritual gift either. No, he gave you a gift. We all know a gifted person when we see one. We've got big stories in the Bible. Look at Moses or look at David where the spirit rushed on them and, 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 and gave them God's own power to, to lead the people of God, to speak the words of God, to write Psalms that ended up being scripture. And we also see people in Exodus where it said the spirit of God rushed on them and they had this supernatural wisdom for construction of the tabernacle and they had supernatural power to use different tools. We've seen gifted people. We fast forward to today, we'll see someone stand up on a stage or do something. It's like, yo, that's, you're gifted. Can I give you good news straight out of Acts 2, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4? You're gifted. Before Jesus, the Spirit came on people so that they could have God's power. After Jesus, the Spirit came in you. And he exercises God's power in you so he can do something supernatural through you. You're gifted. When the spirit came in you, he made you a house where God dwells, but he also made you the headquarters from which God works. You're gifted. Everyone under 18 who's believed in Jesus, listen to me. You're gifted. Everyone who says I'm reserved and I'm not meant to be in front of people, listen to me. You're gifted. Psalm 68, 18, David says he received gifts even from the rebels. I want to flip that the same way Paul flipped it. He gave gifts even to the rebels. Are you a sinner still and believed in Jesus? You're gifted. Have you completely ruined your life and come to believe in Jesus? You're gifted. Have you done stupid stuff after you've come to believe in Jesus? You're gifted. You're gifted. But then he says, according to Christ's measure. That's according to the measurement of Christ. He's given us a picture. He says when Christ was cooking you up, he, he, he intentionally picked some ingredients and put them in this hand. He picked up a measuring cup in that hand. And he, and, he, and he intentionally said, this is how much of this I want you to have. Listen to me. You're a product of his intentionality. Christ gave you something on purpose. So, 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 so why would I be jealous about what they've got? He gave me something. Why am I comparing myself and lining myself up to what they got? And I don't got, he, he gave me something. Why, why am I walking around here like I'm insignificant and play no part and I'm absolutely useless? He gave me something. That's an encouragement. But I also want you to feel the pressure that comes with that. Jesus in Matthew 25 told his disciples a story and told them what kind of, what he expected of them when he gave them something. And he said, um, once upon a time there was a king who was named king. And he went off to a far land for a little bit uh, to receive his kingdom and he'd come back. 
But, but before he left, he called some of his servants and he said, uh, he gave them some money and said, I want you to work that. And when I come back, I'm going to take it back. So he came back and he gathered his servants. And one of them, the servants said, well, you gave me this. So I made this much more. And another said, well, you gave me this. So I made this much more. And then there was one joker that came up and said, well, you gave me this and I buried it. <laughs> and then the king said, you didn't even take it to the bank so I could get interest on it. You did nothing with it. When Christ gives you something, he expects you to work it. When Christ gives you something, he expects you to do something with it. Christ gave you a gift and said, shake what I gave you. I don't want you to feel me, Jerron, comp- uh, um, trying to move you out of compulsion, but I do pray you feel the nudge of the spirit and the, 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 the divine pressure of the hands of God that says, I gave you something, now do something with it. He gave you something. The second kind of gift is I think he gave us someone or some ones. That's not grammatically correct, but he gave you some ones. Uh, this is verses 10 and 11 and 12, I believe, where he says, and he also gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Uh, one day I hope to spend a lot of time in this list of people because I think uh, some of us might be some of these people. But but just a quick run through, the apostles are those who go off and establish the church where it's never been and care for those churches. The prophets are those who come behind the apostles and proclaim God's word to the churches. The evangelists are those who goes to Christians and non-Christians and proclaims Christ to those people and calls them to make a decision. The pastors are those who cares for the churches and guides them on to Christ. And uh, the grammar may, leads me to believe that pastors are a subset of teachers. So, so all pastors are teachers, but not all teachers are pastors. And, 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 and the teachers are those who teach you the word of God. This isn't just information. This is instruction. This isn't just telling you about the Bible. This is instructing you on how to align your life with the Bible. This isn't just telling you about God. This is instructing you on living life with God. In short order, these people are are leaders, could be leaders. And Paul says God gave these people to the church not to do the work, but to equip the saints for the ministry. Uh, Here's our daily Greek lesson. That word equip is the Greek word um, katartismos. And it has two primary connotations. The first is, is, is preparation. Uh, some of you know, remember, are currently experiencing the, the hell on earth that was SAT, ACT test prep, where, where there was a book or a person that took you through all kinds of exercises and whatnot to, 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 to prepare you to take the test. Paul says these leaders were given to the church to prepare you to use what God gave you. But then that word is also used to communicate um, furnishing. It'd be used when we talk about furnishing a room. You, you, you remember when you moved into your house and you had a room and you took every piece of furniture and you deliberately thought about where do I place it and how do I position it so it can be used the best. Paul says that these leaders are given to, to position you so that you can do ministry and use what God has given you. So the leaders are given to position you and prepare you to do and to, to do ministry and use the gifts that God has given you. You know what that tells me? 
A church where the leaders have a monopoly on the ministry is a dysfunctional church. That might tell me that the dissatisfaction that some of you have experienced is because you've been in communities where a few have done all of the ministry, now the many are left with nothing to do, and you're just like, is this it? Maybe some of the disappointment we experience when we have a picture of the church in Scripture and the picture of the church that we're staring at doesn't line up, maybe because in the Scripture, the church there, everyone did the ministry, and at times in real life, especially in America where we hire and fire leaders, that only a few could do the ministry. I want to talk to my friends feeling a holy angst. Some of you are annoyed at everything. I'm not talking to you right now. We, we might have to have another discussion. Those of us who are feeling a holy angst, the the, 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 the stirring of the spirit, the, there's something inside of me. I, I want to get in the game, but I haven't been let in the game yet. You're who I want to talk to. Listen to me. Specifically speaking to Christ Church, I will be the first to admit we have not batted a hundred when it comes to living like this. But we're adjusting ourselves. We're, we're aligning ourselves to this. We're, we're working to get ourselves here. I'm going to tell you about, I'll talk to you about this later. Because over the past year, over the past few years, through various words and, 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 and things that people have gotten, and they've noticed, and we've all grown in awareness that there are a lot of mature, gifted Christians in this community that need to be let loose. And aside from the lot of mature, gifted Christians in the community that needs to be let loose, this is just a scriptural fact that everyone in here who's a Christian has a gift of God on, in, on the inside of them that needs to be let loose. Uh, it's Ambrose who was speaking to pastors. He said, show me your virtue by showing me your spiritual children. In other words, show me your spiritual maturity by showing me the spiritually mature children that you've raised up. And when I think about our community and how spiritually mature a lot of you are, I've got to go back to the leaders and specifically one man who spent a lot of time pouring into this community. So Christ Church, I just want to take a few seconds and can we appreciate Tim for how he's poured into us and given himself to us and built us up. A lot of you are mature and need to be released. All of you are gifted and need to be prepared and positioned and released. And we're going there. So step two, Christ gave. Step three, I promise step two is the longest one. Uh, step three, we build. Step three, we build. Paul says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What's that work of the ministry? Building up the body of Christ. That word build is also construct. When you come into this community, you're coming to a construction site. When you walk up into this community, you're, you, you better put your hard hat on. Put your work boots on. Put your vest on. It, it's hammer time. Pick up your tools where we construct each other in this community. We're constructive. So those of us who've been long time committed to Christ Church, I don't know what your priority has been for being here, but God's priority for you is that you be constructive. Those of us who are newly committed to Christ Church, I don't know what your plans are for being here. God's plans for you 
or that you be constructive. We, we, we construct. That's not also, that's not only our priority, that's also the filter by which we speak and do in this community. Paul says, only say that which builds up, that which is constructive. Only love and love builds up. So only do that which is constructive. Our filter before we do anything, ask yourself, is this constructive to the church? Before you say anything, ask yourself, is this constructive to the church? If it's constructive to the church, let loose. If it's not constructive, go back to the drawing board, Jack. Our priority is to be constructive. To this community. Uh, he's right. I, I, I know work is tiring and, 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 and you just want a church where you can consume on Sundays and slip in and slip out. But God says, no, I want you to be constructive. I know it's easy to point out wrongs and point out what's not right and point out what can be better and criticize. But God says, no, no, I want you to be constructive. I don't want you to just come and go. I want you to come and construct. So we build. Step three. Step four. Uh, step four and five, Paul starts to, to cast vision for us. He says, once we build, here's the first one, step four, we will grow into togetherness. We will grow into togetherness. He says the saints build up the body until we attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. He says, as we increase in, in faith in Jesus, we'll attain the unity. As we increase in knowledge of Jesus, this is, this is experiential knowledge, we increase in unity. I love how he connects uh, faith and knowledge to unity. He says, as we come into increasing faith and unity, we will find ourselves coming close to one another. I, I hate to use that cheesy marriage love triangle thing that a lot of you have been given in marriage counseling, but I'm going to have to. There's a, there's a triangle and Christ is at the head and we're on either side and the lines that connect us to Christ. One is the path of faith. The other is the path of, of knowledge. And what the work of the ministry is, is we're all pushing each other down that path of faith and knowledge closer to Christ. But once we find out that we've pushed each other to Christ, we've actually found ourselves pushing and coming closer to one another. And there's going to day where, there's going to be a day where we've pushed one another the perfect unity in union with Christ, and we've come in a perfect union with one another. Can I highlight that Paul seems to tell us that unity is Christocentric? We're, we're unified around Jesus. Shared vision's great. Shared values are great. Sh- shared doctrine is great, but I don't just want to be unified around things about Jesus. I want to be unified around actual relationship and life with Jesus. We're unified around this man who lives. We're not unified around a piece of paper. We're not unified around ideas. We're unified around a living God who's come and lived in this community. We're unified around Christ and Christ alone. But can I also highlight how Paul seems to make unity and the increasing knowledge and faith of Jesus inseparable. Which seems to tell me, just me, you can do with this what you want to do with it, but it seems to tell me that if you're increasing in faith in Jesus, but not in unity with Jesus' people, that might be a fake faith. 
And if you're increasing in knowledge of Jesus and not unity with Jesus' people, that might not be Jesus you're getting to know. Paul says they're inextricable. If you increase in unity and if you're increasing, if you're increasing in faith and knowledge, you as a byproduct, you're increasing in unity. But, but I've seen what it looks like when, 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 when the people of God dwell in unity. I've seen Matthew, the tax collector, who sold out the Hebrew people to the oppressive Romans. And I've seen Simon the zealot who wants to kill everything that smells Roman. And I've seen them both come around Jesus and, and live in unity, praying with one another and following Jesus together and learning God from Jesus together and, 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 and experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit together and going on mission together. I've seen people unify around Jesus. And we're going to see one another unify around Jesus. We're going to see one another fulfill John's vision where he says, I saw a great crowd that no one could count. There are people from every nation, tribe, tongue, language, all gathered around Jesus, the lamb. Together they're singing blessing and honor and thanksgiving and glory and power be to you. That's the unity we're going to attain to as we collectively build. He says, we'll grow together, grow into togetherness. And then here's step five, the last one. Together we'll grow. Paul, he moves on in verse 13 and he says, until we attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the son of God. And then he says, also to mature manhood or to to mature personhood. We become one person and we attain to mature personhood to the stature of the fullness of Christ. My, My little brother, he's 15 now and. I left home when he was about uh, seven or eight. And every time he walks up to me now when they visit, he'll stand up and he'll say, Jerron, I'm almost as tall as you. Which ain't that hard of a thing, honestly. But I mean, like, it's not like it's a hard thing to achieve. Uh, my little sister's 13 and she's almost here too. Um, but but he's, he's set, he's, he set me as his standard in height. And he said, I'm constantly growing up to the standard. What Paul is saying is Christ is our standard, not in height, but in heart, right. not, not in height, but in holiness, not in height, but in love. And, and together as one person, we all grow towards the standard. We're all growing towards Christ's love. We're all growing towards Christ's evangelism. We're all growing towards Christ's submission to the Father. Yeah. Yeah. He says we're all growing together. Uh, shout out to my 90s babies, um, 80s babies, too. Uh, Y'all remember Power Rangers on Saturday mornings? Uh, I don't, I was born in 93, so I don't, not nearly as much as some of y'all, but go, go Power Rangers. Uh, y'all remember when they, they came up against some big bad villain and they thought we can't beat you as a bunch of individuals. We gotta, we gotta level up to something greater than that. And then the five individuals, sometimes six individuals all turned into one being. And it's when they all came together as one, the, the one megazord is when they, is when they leveled up. Yeah. They, they, they leveled up as, as one. And what I'm trying to say, Christians, is we level up as one. God, God's plan is not for, uh, sanctification and isolation. God's plan is for sanctification to be a group, a communal, a shared project. Yeah. 
So listen to me, somebody in here, somebody on the internet, you're feeling stuck, you're feeling stagnant. There's still sin that you're saying, I can't get out of this. Maybe, just maybe, it's because God's saying, you can't go any further in isolation. You got to go further in community. God's goal is for growth in community. But I got to back up because I love that God's goal is growth. That tells me in my own personal life that as I'm in community, I'm not who I'm going to be. That tells me that we as a community, we're not who we're going to be. I can openly recognize and acknowledge that I'm not who I ought to be. And at the same time, I can rejoice because I'm not who I'm going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not as generous as I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not as generous as I'm going to be. I'm not as loving as I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not as loving as I'm going to be. This community, we might not be as evangelistically as we ought to be, but praise God, we're not as evangelistic as we're going to be. We might not be as varied as we ought to be across different socioeconomic statuses and different ethnicities and ages, but thank God we're not as varied as we're going to be. We can always recognize I'm not who who I ought to be, but I'm not who I'm going to be. There's something greater ahead of us. Jerron, how do you know that? Don't take my word for it. Take Paul's word for it. Come to the stage, Paul. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and we know. What do you know, Paul? That God works all things together for those who are called according to his purposes. Who's that? That's you. Keep it going, Paul. Paul says those whom he foreknew, he predestined. That's you. Those whom he predestined, he called. That's you. Those whom he called, he justified. That's you. Those whom he justified, he glorified. That's you. Paul says there's glory in front of us. Jeron, how do you know? Don't ask me. Don't ask Paul. Ask John. John writes to us and he says, beloved, we're children of God right now. But what we are is not has not appeared yet. John says, here's what I know. I know that when Christ appears, we will be just like him. There's glory and glory ahead of us, church. There's glory ahead of us. And we're going to grow into that glory. So, so, so here's God's game plan. He says, yesterday Christ conquered. Yesterday Christ gave. Tomorrow we will grow into togetherness. And tomorrow together we will grow. But today we build. Today we be those who are constructive. This is my call for us, Christ Church. Let's build. It's tool time. Didn't think that would be funny. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Let me try another one. It's hammer time. (laughs) Wow, two jokes in a row. I mentioned earlier that we, it's our intention, it's our prayer that we, we begin to match this picture. Some of you have felt it. We've felt it. We've all felt it. We got to be this. So, so our first effort is, our first efforts are, are to position everyone to use what God has given them and to do the work of the ministry and building the church. So, so, so what we've done, this is our first effort, not the last effort. What we've done is we've, we've come and thought and we've come up with a framework that says there are five uh, big categories, five big processes in which the, the collective ministry of the church falls. 
Everything we as a church do in terms of ministry falls into five categories. It's we, we reach. We, we reach out into the community and serve the community and we, we reach out into the community with the gospel. Second, we connect. We invite people into the community. We bring them into the community. This is going from a visitor to part of this family. Uh, third, we gather. We gather together like this on Sundays for worship and instruction. We gather for prayer at Kingdom Come meetings. We, we gather. Fourth, we care for one another. These are all of the one another's in the Bible. We've heard a lot of those the past few years. We care for one another. And then fifth, we disciple one another and build one another up. So, so here's what we've done. We're, we're forming a team of individual, of people who will oversee each of these major ministry processes. And, and after that team's formed, we're going to start this process of gathering you all and calling you all into this and having conversations with you all and saying, where, where do you think God has gifted you so far? Here's a sidebar. If you don't know what your gift is, just start doing something and you'll learn. Here's a personal story. I've only been doing this for about four years. Do you want to know how I learned I could do this? I was teaching kids. And it was while teaching kids that someone said, you can talk. And I was like, great. So I'm, so I'm saying, even if you don't know, just like do something. Jump in somewhere and your gifts will be recognized. So what I'm asking you to do, throw our text number back up there. If you're not engaged, if you're not a part of the ministry, I'm asking you, text that number, put your name in that text message, say, this might be the area I think someone will reach out to you in the next few weeks, and then we're going to go forward and get you positioned. Next phase after that, we're going to figure out how to get everyone equipped. And after that, we're going to go forward into a really beautiful thing, Christ Church. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get there. And, 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 and our story be, how did we get here? Well, yesterday Christ, he, he went down, went up, and he defeated everything. Yeah, after he, after he defeated everything, as he went up, he, he poured his spirit down on us, and we, we received it, and then we started to build with the spirit, and then we started to come together, and then we became like Christ together. Yeah. I can't wait to get there.